Center Saint Sister, we are women, we are wives, we are mothers, we certainly celebrate womanhood, but that is not at the exclusion of men. Good men are at the forefront of our ministries by empowering us to dream God-sized dreams. I've known for a while that there were some brothers out there that I wanted to bring into the mix, and this gender inclusion thrills me. Welcome to this special episode of Sinner Saint Brother. This episode features Father Jared Cook. Have you ever read the book of Haggai in the Bible? I hadn't either, but I was directed to it by someone who's also been heartbroken by the Catholic Church. Haggai was a prophet and was speaking to people who gave lip service to the priority of God. But in fact, they lived life for themselves. So God sent a prophet to help his people get their priorities in line. Four times Haggai comes to the people with a message from God. Every man is wrapped up in his own selfish concerns and God is neglected. They're working, but they're not working for the Lord. So the very things that these people are working for is evading them. But now, now is the time, Haggai says. The time is now to rebuild God's church. And the people were obedient. The person who shared this with me feels a lot more hope than I do at the moment. Hope. Hope is a good thing, but there's a loneliness inherent to hope while we wait for something out in front of us. A future. A future I cannot see. I can't conceive of a future. Wait. Isn't that a marker for depression? When you can't conceive of a future? Maybe I'm spiritually depressed. I haven't known what to say about the vile things happening in my church or the people who covered it up. There is no way to reconcile a belief in the Gospels with the horrors I have read. And I am so, so angry. I'm angry that these men have made me question my faith. I'm angry that because of them, the world sees our sin over our Savior when they look at our church. I'm angry because I've had to have difficult, grown-up conversations with my kids about sex and their bodies. My kids who can't even reliably wash all the conditioner out of their hair. Mostly, I'm angry that there are people in this world who have suffered so greatly at the hands of people they were brought up to trust. That there are people who carry misplaced shame that they should never have had to experience. It is so devastating. In an effort to do more than yell and scream and feel outraged the week the news came out, I went to church. Because I didn't want to go, I threw on something easy to wear an oversized, full-length, black maxi dress that I often use this summer as a cover-up. I was hesitant to go to church because I was afraid we wouldn't talk about what was turning us all inside out, and I didn't know if I could belong to a family who refused to talk about how dysfunctional it was. A family pretending to be perfect, each member protecting their own rank. I didn't think I could do it. Instead, our dysfunction was all we talked about. And we sat there together, screwed up, and cried our eyes out. We handed each other tissues and passed the peace way longer than usual. Halfway through Mass, I looked down and realized I was wearing what I imagine a sackcloth would look like, and it just so happened to be black. So I sat there in my sackcloth and ashes and wept with my brothers and sisters and lamented the latest reprehensible crimes. I still don't know what to say about the vile things happening in my church. 
I know only to weep with those who weep. And I have no idea what to do with all of this anger. But it feels a little self-indulgent to be so angry without some action. But speaking of action, I feel powerless. And speaking of powerless, I have very strong opinions about the changes that women's presence and leadership could bring. We have done so much of the church's ministry and business, it's high time to be included in the leadership of our diocese, to have the right to vote, to help make important decisions. Enough cheerleading. It's time for a seat at the table. I also have strong opinions about people trying to explain this away with a cultural lack of holiness, as if this were somehow our fault because of relativism and everyone being accepting of homosexuality. I've read too many articles that neatly, enthusiastically even, pin this scandal on homosexuality alone. We wouldn't be where we are if everyone weren't okay with the gays. To that, I would like to point out that very few of these sins are with adult men, as homosexuality would imply. Instead, these sins, these crimes, are with children. And no one is okay with it. Gay, straight, Catholic, not, atheist, whatever. No one is okay with pedophilia. This isn't about homosexuality. It's about abuse. And abuse is about power. And power crimes are crimes of opportunity. I also don't think bishops can be trusted to lead an investigation. I want a true, independent investigation. And I feel wary of anyone who doesn't. I've seen too many of the flock devoured. To be sure, there are beautiful, godly priests and good and holy bishops, but the betrayals are true of enough priests and enough bishops that they've lost a great deal of credibility in the public eye while they have protected the institution before protecting the vulnerable and outside eyes are necessary. Abusive priests, I want to see you removed. Bishops in the way, I want to see you resign. Laity with broken hearts, I want to see us gather up and strengthen each other and pray for the Holy Spirit's purifying fire to make our church brand new. Things are bad and are getting worse, that's true, but that very fact creates a situation for us that is at once immediately important with the potential of being richly productive. The time is now. Just like Haggai says, maybe my friend's on to something. I feel a lot of things, and each day brings something different. But one of those things is stubborn. If these men are bringing my church to its knees, I'd like to commit to be there to help raise it back up. Working alongside and fighting with holy warriors, making noise and demanding change, I would like to be a part of the healing church, walking beside victims if they would allow me to, because I'm convinced it just can't end like this. This is just not how it's supposed to end. There's more to do and say and pray. Now's the time to build because it turns out spiritual depression's just a feeling and that feeling is a lie. So let's grieve together. Let's do that. It's so much better than pretending we're perfect. And then let's meet at God's table and ask him for the best next steps as we fight for something bigger, holier, truer, more beautiful than just ourselves, our church. And let's get to work using our gifts to love people relentlessly, wildly, who have been hurt. And in the meantime, expose us, God, and keep exposing us. Root out this evil. Show us the truth. Not only a truth that makes us feel better, but the full truth. If it's not the full truth, then we don't want it. Bring light, God, where there is darkness. Please help us heal. 
I sat down with Father Jared last week and we put our hearts together. I think it took courage for both of us. We both felt cautious, maybe even afraid. It's a complicated emotion. I read somewhere that it's practices that sustain communities. The practice, for instance, of throwing a baseball or sitting down for dinner or bowing before the Eucharist. It's people that sustain these practices. And there are people who have freely given their lives to keep the practices that sustain the Catholic Church. And without them, there is no church. I think Father Jared and I wanted to be deeply respectful to the people who sustain our church in the ways God wants. But we also want our church restored to her full beauty. And that just might require unlearning one culture to relearn another. And that probably won't just fall into place by accident. It's probably going to require a few imperfect people fighting for a perfect God to show up afraid. This is my friend, Father Jared. He's young and fiery. His wisdom defies his age, and he is absolutely one of my favorite priests. In case it's not obvious, he and I do not speak for each other. Just because I say it doesn't mean Father Jared agrees with it, but instead he agreed to sit down with one of his sheep because he loves his people. Thank you, Father Jared. Father Jared. How you doing, Allison? Hi. Good to see you again. <laughs> you are just revered in our little Center St. Sister circle. And I, you were at the live recording. And oh, what a beautiful night that was. It was amazing. I'm so thankful for your presence there and for your voice and the message that you delivered. And I just appreciate your support along the way as I try to enter into difficult conversations. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yes, and one and one today as well, because this is not a fun topic, but there's no one that I would rather just sit knee to knee with and go through some of this stuff. We're here to talk about church scandal. Yes. Thank you Thank for you. agreeing to meet and be honest. And, um, you know, it feels ridiculous for me as someone who has not been injured by the church, um, who has not been abused, to say that I'm struggling right now and that I'm grieving, um, but I most certainly am. And I think that there is um, a holy sadness that comes from paying attention, that comes from being aware, and I'm experiencing that myself. So this might be a little more pastoral for you than you sure. anticipate. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm in a rough spot. But that right. being said, um, I want to be there for you too, mm -hmm. because I can't imagine... Um, what you must must be going through. I can't imagine um, how hurt you must be as well. So um, there are so many layers to this betrayal. There's the initial abuse. There's the spiritual abuse. Um, and of course, sexual abuse. There's grooming children. There's getting people to trust you. There's using power to confuse people about God of all things. It's just really terrible. And then what feels worse to me is the cover-up and moving priests around. Um, Jesus was very clear about how he feels about people who harm the faith of children. And he was very clear about people who use positions of power to harm people. And all of these things are on tragic display here. And I know that you're hurting and I know that you're outraged and I appreciate how vocal you've been regarding that. It's healing for the people who follow you. You have so many people that you have been a balm to. How are you, Father Jared? 
Well, I am, uh, I'm doing well, actually. Um, I'm, I'm still struggling with a lot of this. Um, and, you know, you, you, you preface your comments with, um, you know, you know you haven't been immediately affected, but I would say, you know, we've all been affected mm -hmm. in some way or another. Um, as you sort of then mentioned spiritually, the, the thing is, is yes, many of us, most of us have not been physically affected by this and the victims are number one in all of this. However, these men who were held up on a pedestal and, and, and seen as, as holy leaders and shepherds, they have shaken the faith of everybody. Yeah including myself, mm -hmm. including you, including everybody who's been rocked by this, mm -hmm. which I would say is virtually everybody. Yeah. And so we've all been affected. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Um, that, that's, that makes the tragedy even greater, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm coping, I'm dealing. Um, I, um, as, as I've mentioned before, it's just a, it's a reminder to all of us that we do not put our trust in man mm -hmm. um, we do not put our trust in man we put our trust in God made man mm -hmm. so I think and that's Jesus Christ and so I think one of the things this is really calling us to is, is a refocusing on what is central to our faith right. it's not the priests it's not the Pope even who's the vicar of Christ it is Jesus Christ himself mm -hmm. and I think we've become so bogged down with with just kind of the the, the red tape and the and the, the grandeur of it all with the priests with the hierarchy with all this sort of stuff that we've sort of forgotten what it's all about right. and so I, that's just been my call to people is to remember you know uh, who it is that we worship and that's Jesus and um, that's something that we that we can't let escape us um, that um, even priests are humans too and um, and they'll have to account for yeah. the things that they've done on an even greater level. To answer your question, I'm already already ranting and bloviating. Um, I'm I'm doing better, but it's yeah. it's taken uh, it's taken a lot uh, of of prayer, a lot of, of talking uh, with brother priests and with laity especially to, mm -hmm. to kind of get to a better place. Um, but the anger's still there, and there's a difference between anger and righteous anger, and yeah. I would say that it is very very righteous anger, yeah. very much so. so. I, um, as someone who follows you and, and looks to you as a shepherd, it was so nice to, to see the ways that you were choosing to acknowledge the gaping wound in the church and, and, and then um, imagining how we must feel and knowing that you were in a position of leadership and then taking that on. I want to thank you personally. Can you talk to me a little bit about your choices as far as how you chose to handle it via social media, personally, whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I say this humbly. Uh, one, I, I do have a, a gift of empathy. It's something mm. I've always had. And so I'm always looking for the pulse of the people. I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes. And it was a little bit easier to do in this case because I was feeling it smack in my face as sure. well. Um, um, but I was really, I was, I was being inundated by people, um, by, um, you know, their anger, their outrage, and it really just moved me to, to think, okay, the people need to hear something. We, we cannot do what the church is, has a knack for, and that is taking forever to say something, to react. The right. church is so reactionary, and they're not on the offense. There's wisdom behind 
being methodical about things. Um, at the same time, the church has to do a better job, in my opinion, of reacting to these things much quicker. But I will say, when this all blew up, it was the 20th Sunday of Ordinary Time, I believe, and um, we were supposed to read a letter from our bishop. Mm -hmm. And um, when I read the letter, um, it was it was it was okay. It was good, um, but I felt like I needed to add a little bit to it, mm. um, and so because I, I felt very much so, um, I, I was I was experiencing what the people were were, were feeling, and so I just kind of let it rip. Yeah, I kind of let it rip, and um, I took a chance, and. By the grace of God, it paid off. The people needed to hear it. Yeah. The people needed to hear it. They needed to know that their priests heard them, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I heard them loud and clear. Yeah. And they heard me loud and clear. Yeah. Now, is that the homily that you ended up posting to social media? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Mm -hmm. Because friends and listeners, that will be um, the mini episode. I'm going to have Father Jared send that to me. And so please tune into the mini episode to hear the details of that. It was beautiful and um, very healing for me at that time. Thank you. Thank and you. and frankly, the only thing like it. Eventually responses came. Sure. But right then and there, mm -hmm. that was that was it. Um, I will say that I had a really hard time going to church that Sunday and I, because I was afraid we weren't going to talk about it. Right. And that was going to devastate me. Yeah. And um, it ended up being all we talked about. Good. So I appreciated that. Um, Father Augustine delivered a beautiful, heartfelt homily. And Praise I God. was so grateful. Praise God. Yeah. So, um, and the, but then yours, um, you posted it pretty quickly after. And between the two of you, um, I thought, okay, okay. Because I, I, I want to say this as, as humbly as I can. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm clinging to Jesus tighter than I ever have regarding um, church going. Yeah. And so it's not it's not the question of, of following Jesus. For me, it's the hierarchy mm. of the church right. that has that I feel more skeptical of than ever. Right. Um, and so there's there's all of the sudden suspicion where mm -hmm. there there really wasn't before. I, I might be frustrated at how slowly things move sure. or things like that. But all sure. of a sudden I'm looking at the structure of our church going, I don't know anymore. So how, how can you, how can you speak to staying in the Catholic church? How can you speak to, to telling us that this is a worthy home to stick to mm -hmm. when it has injured so many of these, these structures right. in place? Right. Well, what I would say to that is first of all, the church has survived every major world empire for the last 2,000 years. I don't, it's not to lessen what's happening now, mm -hmm. but our church has gone through hell and back. But speaking of that, the gates of hell have never prevailed. Mm -hmm. You know, we've gone down to low points, just look throughout church history. But as Christ promised, the gates of hell have never prevailed. Um, and so I, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and I mentioned to them, I said, I said, think back, think back in church history. When was the very first scandal? When was it? When do you think? And they didn't know. They, they mentioned, oh, 2002 when all this broke. Go far, much farther back. And I said, try the Last Supper. Mm. Judas. Mm -hmm. This is nothing new, right? Um just to bring some context to it. Mm -hmm. You know, no one has ever so much as hinted, not even Christ himself in the flesh, 
that being a Christian is easy, right. much less being a Catholic, a right. Roman Catholic. Right. It's not. You know, these are crosses that we have to bear. Um, at the same time, I don't discount the fact that, and we, we have to be crystal clear about this, we have to acknowledge the fact that the devil has infiltrated the church because he is so cunning and so manipulative and he will poke and prod and agitate everybody's vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Popes, bishops, mm-hmm. priests, deacons, religious included. And he will infiltrate and that's what he's done. Mm-hmm. That's what he's done. And so we have to acknowledge that. And we have to push back and fight against that. Mm-hmm. Regarding church scandal, in regard to the number of abusive priests, you often hear the phrase, a few bad apples. Do you think that that is accurate, that this is just a few men who have succumbed to temptation, or is this an institutional problem? Is there something systemic working here? Is there something about our church culture? I would say both. I would say both, but I would lean a little more heavily on um, the the first thing that you said. Mm-hmm. Men have then taken the reins from Jesus Christ himself, and men have done what men do. They make mistakes. So are there things that we need to look at in our church structure? Absolutely. At the same time, I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit has has helped to guide weak, limited men and women throughout church history to keep it afloat, to keep it... To keep it uh, um, um, alive, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that is a testament to how much God loves us and His church. Um, and so, I think that yes, we we can we can look at some things, and I say that humbly as young first year priest um, <laughs> who is obviously bottom of the barrel. I get that, but whatever. Going on to do amazing well, things. <laughs> I'm gonna follow along because thank you, yeah, thank you. But what I will say in, in regard to your your question, uh, yeah. Uh, I think that it is a few bad apples. Um, you can you can chalk it up to bad formation. You can chalk it up to whatever you want um, that they slipped through the cracks that they should have. You know whatever. Um, but I do think that it's very difficult. It's a blessed life to be a priest, but it's also a very difficult life to be a priest. And the thing is, is if these priests don't have first and foremost a prayer life. They're going to fall. You talk to any priest who's either left the priesthood, left ministry, and you ask them what was the fir- what what happened. The first thing they'll say is they stopped praying. Can you imagine being a priest with mm-hmm. no prayer life? Right. On top of that, can you imagine being a priest who has no support system? Mm. That is part of the, the institutional problem. Is priests don't have support systems. Mm. They don't have support of the laity. Um, they don't have support of their brother priests. People have become so priests have become so isolated, um, and that really can lead and snowball into much deeper, greater things. That's just one thing. I will say, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do we know that things have changed? How do we know? I've been in I was in seminary for nine years, and I know from firsthand experience, it is a rigorous process now. We are screened from the get-go. We have evaluations annually, sometimes sooner than that, uh, more often than that. Um, and it is we are under a microscope for the entire time that we're in seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is intense, intense formation. And that has changed recently over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's very few now slipping through the cracks. Mm-hmm. 
to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a lot of guys that I went to seminary with are not priests. One, because they either discerned out, or two, they were asked to leave. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a lot that were asked to leave. Okay. Um, because it is a discernment on the part of themselves, if, as, you know, is, is the priesthood really for me? But there's also a discernment on the part of the church. Are you really called to the priesthood? Right. You know, but I just want people to know that things have indeed gotten better. Mm -hmm. um, and these sorts of cases have been fewer and fewer. And we're a new generation of priests. Yeah. Not to pin ourselves against the older generation who are wonderful, amazing people and priests and brother priests of mine. Um, but we're a new generation who has now lived through this. Right. And so we have a different perspective on it mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I go back and forth as a bystander, as um, somebody with my, my heart in the church. I have good days and bad days. And on good days, I think to myself, this is a few bad apples and, and we are going to recover from this. And then on bad days, I'm thinking this is a huge institutional problem that needs all sorts of systemic changes. And I have a lot of opinions about what I think those right, right. changes should be. Of <laughs> sure, course, sure. Um, we can get into those later. Sure. Um, I love talking about this stuff with you, yeah. um, but, but maybe a little bit separate than that. I want to ask you, do you think that celibacy, because I'm sure you mentioned our Protestant brothers and sisters yeah. who we both love and adore right. um, and have relationships with, right. good ones, right. um, that might not understand celibacy. Do you think that celibacy is too tall of an order? When we bury things, it turns sinister and dark and you're, you're having to bury your sexuality, then it takes you know deviant turns and that's what's going on. Yeah. I would say that... And this is and this is a thirty-one-year-old priest telling you this, right? It is not too tall of an order. Celibacy is not easy. It is not easy at all. However, and, and and a lot of people will go to this whole idea of well, priests are lonely. Priests are lonely. I told a, a group of men this today, um, um, most of them who are married, and, and I said to them, look, when I talk to young guys who are thinking about the priesthood and the idea of loneliness comes up, and if they're being honest with themselves and that is something that, that, that sh they struggle with, I remind them that, you know what, there is just as much loneliness in the priesthood as there is in marriage and vice versa. And I think if any married person is honest with themselves, they know that to be true. I don't. I don't want to say this and and step into a circle I'm not in. Yeah. But there's something really painful about feeling lonely next to someone. Exactly. <laughs> because you're right. And generally, when I say that, it goes right to that because it's you're right. If you if you, if you haven't talked to your husband in two or three days, but you have to sit there and sleep with them, or you have to sit there and be in the same house with them, that's it's even harder. There's so, that expectation exactly, of communion that's painful. Exactly, it adds a layer. Of pain. Exactly. So so point being that there's just as much loneliness in marriage as there is in priesthood. Loneliness is a human condition. Yeah. And it it, it doesn't discriminate. It 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 is. It's everybody struggles with it. Yeah. We struggle with it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So just like. Um, when there's loneliness in a marriage, when there's struggles in a marriage, you have to tackle it head on. Right. When there's loneliness right. in a priesthood, you have to tackle it head yeah. on. So many priests may not have the tools, like I said, may not have the support system and, and, and the ways and the means of being able to do that. And that's where some of these systematic problems are. Right. Is you know Some of us have, uh, priests have been left in the dust by, by um, just the system, if you will, 
Um, and that's something that is we're, we're really starting to take a very hard look at, um, which is, is necessary. Celibacy, though, I, I, I want to say it is a, although it's difficult, it's, it's, also, it's also blessed. And, and there's some, some spiritual realities with it, but, but let me focus too on the practical realities. Mm-hmm. And this is, not to, this is not to, again, once again, pin myself against Protestant bro- our Protestant brothers and sisters. And, but, you know, I can imagine that they struggle on, in, on their own end of finding that balance between family and congregation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of your people are dying at two o'clock in the morning, um, but you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to take your son to band practice. Or, you know, something very important is happening with your congregation on Saturday afternoon, but your daughter has a soccer game, you know, and so you have to then decide. And so I, I can only imagine. So me being celibate, not having a wife and biological children of my own, that opens me up to be 100% available to the people of God, to the people that I'm charged with, um, with, with ministering to and with shepherding. And so there's a beauty behind that. Yeah. There really, really is. Um, and so I'm able to be 100% uh, approachable and available to those people. So there's that practical sense. Um, a lot of people ask me personally, is, is celibacy hard? And I always say, yes, celibacy is very hard. But you know what's harder? obedience mm, sure to me obedience is harder than celibacy yeah. um, well, I feel that pain for you right now yeah. just because you had to leave our town <laughs> like says who uh, oh I yeah <laughs> I hear you exactly and I've come to the point where I've realized you know that um, that it, it was the will of God as mm-hmm. expressed through my bishop mm-hmm. and um, and I'm I'm I am grateful. Just side note, sidebar. I am, <laughs> I, I am more in love with my priesthood now mm. than even when I started because of my time at Saint Joseph mm. and Brian. Yeah. And so I am grateful to God yeah. and grateful to my bishop for sending me there for mm. at least that first year because it's the people of of uh, of Saint Joseph's that really taught me what it means to be a priest. Mm. That that got me to this point. You're and so, revered there. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I've heard, and maybe this is mm-hmm. you know, being raised Protestant. Yeah. I, I don't know kind of the um, the church language that maybe yeah. everybody knows, but I'm just hearing it. So sure. I'm like, oh, that's new and yeah. fantastic. Yeah. A fresh revelation. And then other people are like, we've been saying that for centuries. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I've heard the the celibacy likened to this high beam of love Mm. whereas romantic love is this laser focus you have this you know this is just for you and this is very intense towards my family and then pastorally you kind of have this this higher beam that reaches more and i I really liked that image that's beautiful so much of our culture you know is um centers around romantic love right and so it's it does require a shift in our minds to to try to get there understand it but paul speaks very eloquently towards it so absolutely um now that being said celibacy is a problem for some people in the priesthood absolutely clearly right Right. so when celibacy is a problem Mm -hmm. and it's not supposed to be a problem right it creates a culture of secrecy yes and that culture in our priesthood of secrecy that it benefits people who are committing crimes mm-hmm. this secrecy that we're not talking about it that this is supposed to be just something you accept and and deal with beautifully um so when we have a culture of secrecy in our priesthood it, it benefits 
um, abusers at best, but it tolerates and protects them at worst. And the worst is, is what we've been seeing lately. Right. Um, secrecy, in my opinion, has is a cancer in the church. And we see that right now. With the exception of, obviously, the seal of confession, we need a much greater transparency. I respect and love my bishops. I respect and love all the bishops for the incredible and terrible responsibility that they have. That said, um, I think they're finally feeling the heat. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Thank God. Now, I also want to just side note it here. There's some incredible bishops out there. Yeah. There are some wonderful bishops out there. And that speaks to this whole idea, too, of of going back to the few bad apples. Those few bad apples have really, really done a number for all the good priests and all the good bishops out there. And I was telling you the story earlier, uh, Allison, of, of, you know, I I went to HEB the other day. I went to the grocery store, and I stepped out of my car in my clerics, and I took two steps, Hmm. and I stopped, Mm -hmm. and I turned back around, I took my collar off and I threw it in my car. Mm. I was so ashamed. Mm. But I had to go in for two things. Two things! And I just did not want to deal with it. Right. But that is so sad. Identifying with the bishops now, the good ones who are taking this heat. Mm -hmm. um, But I'm also happy that it's happening. Our church, this is a time of of deep reflection, but even more so this is a time of purging. Mm-hmm. And and thanks be to God for that, because it needs to be purged. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really, really does. And so, yeah. I My, my personal leanings, as I've, I've read and prayed, these seem like power crimes to me. These men that are holding these mysteries in their hands, and I think that growing up and, and watching that and, and being awed by that and yearning for that, I think there's a selection bias to some narcissism here power crimes are crimes of opportunity and frankly there are more boys around boy victims certainly have more shame and are less likely to talk and so through the things that i've been reading i've been reading a lot about that this is a homosexual problem and i just can't speak more firmly that having same-sex attraction makes you a pedophile and that talk like that creates more victims and causes more hurt, and I want no part of it. Um, so how do you talk about homosexuality in our priesthood and people trying to pin that solely on this? First of all, and you briefly mentioned it, I would really, really, um, I, w- I, would, I would really, really stress what you said about the idea of narcissism. That is a huge problem. And narcissism then goes into clericalism. That is, Those two things are a huge problem within the priesthood, gay, straight, or otherwise. That doesn't discriminate either. And so I think, I think that is a bigger problem than even homosexuality. Okay, um, so we cannot let that escape us. And we should also, we should, as a matter of fact, I feel like we should focus more on that that it is the narcissism um, and and the clericalism. That is a true lack of humility. Look, we all have egos, every single one of us. I have an ego. It's something that I I struggle with every single day. Same. Uh, especially me being prominent on social media. It's hard. I, I am... I am so affirmed by what I what I receive from people by way of, of 
prayer requests and, 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 and praises for the things that I say and do, and it's wonderful, but I have to keep myself in check because we know what happens to celebrity priests. Mm-hmm. And so I fight it. If I, have a, if I have a strong and powerful voice, praise God, and I'm going to use it for God's greater glory, but it stops there. Mm-hmm. It has to be for God's greater glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why anytime I post something online, um, I always go through my list. My mama can see this. My daddy can see this. My bishops can see this. Yeah. My brother priest can see this. The whole world can see this. And is this for God's greater glory? Amen. And so that's what I that's what I have to do. And then I truly have to, through my own spiritual direction, through my own prayer, through my own some of my my closest friends who are brother priests, um, talking with them and having them hold me accountable. Um, I really have to stay on top of that. Yeah. I think there needs to be greater accountability between priests. Mm-hmm. That's something that we've actually talked about now and mm-hmm. within our press bitterets around the world and around the country and especially here in Austin as well, that we have to continue holding one another accountable. Um, there is such thing as fraternal correction. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do it mm-hmm. and we all learn how to do it in seminary. Mm-hmm. So that shouldn't cease once we become priests. Mm-hmm. Um, so narcissism, um, lack of humility and clericalism is a cancer in the church. Um, the homosexuality problem is divided within our society, and there's such divisions even within just American politics, and it has bled into church yeah. and church politics. Yeah. It is a human reality. I struggle with cards that they've been dealt and how things are so um, volatile in society right now between them and that the, it's seemingly in the church there seems that there's this line that's been drawn and you got to be on one side or the other I hold true to what the church teaches at the same time if we don't see Christ in these people then we're no better than it is a fine balance and we still have a lot of work to do as a church um, because I, I think that even priests out there have chosen sides, and then they've gone, you know, uh, full blast on on both sides of the spectrum. And to me, there's a there's got to be a happy medium. There has to be a happy balance. First of all, first and foremost, what does the church teach? Priests need to do a better job. The church needs to do a better job of catechizing and explaining, but also meeting the people where they're at, meeting the homosexual community, the LGBT community where they're at, and listening to them, Mm -hmm. listening to them. There needs to be uh, uh, a greater spirit of listening to on both ends, I would say. Mm -hmm. You know, the church needs to try to understand where their community is coming from, just as they need to try to understand too what the church is saying. And I think that um, once we kind of, if, if we can attempt to check egos to the curb and really invite Christ and invite the Spirit into this conversation, which I don't think we do at all, um, I think that um, growth will happen. I think that understanding will come. So, so there's just that on the homosexual issue. When it comes to homosexual priests, there are some probably good, holy, happy, healthy, homosexual priests out there. They know who they are, yeah. and yet they actively live a celibate life yes. with a beautiful prayer life, yes. and praise God for that, yeah. you know? And so I don't worry about them. I think that any time you don't see someone as an image bearer, you are outside the will of God. 
and for people who can so quickly and so easily rant against a homosexual, whether they're a priest or not, has forgotten that we are image bearers of God and has never loved anyone who's gay. Mm-hmm. I think it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, you know, when I think about greater issues in the church and things that I, I wished that I could, I could see moving, you mentioned kind of that glacial pace of the church either speaking out or moving, of course, near and dear to my heart are women's issues. Right. So um, women in voting, mm. um, in major policy meetings, I think that it could ha- be completely transformative in our church culture. And of course, I'm not saying that women can't be evil too, mm-hmm. um, but they're so rarely violent, so um, unlikely to turn a blind eye to abuse. So advocating for women to have senior positions in the Holy See's administration, mm-hmm. um, there was a group of women uh, outside of the Vatican uh, protesting peacefully for just that. And they're chanting, knock, knock. Who's there? More than half the church. <laughs> so when we keep these the, the voting to only half of the image of God, how are we experiencing a full-bodied church? What are your thoughts on women in the church? I think that the women have um, a necessary and powerful role within the church to play. Um, because God has designed men and women in a certain way. There are things that men have, obviously, that women don't have and vice versa. And so I think what we need in our world, in our church, but more importantly in our world, is a an embracing of true femininity and true masculinity. Now I know that this will rub a lot of people the wrong way because of... Um, just because of what's going on in the world now. Um, I, I, I say that understanding full well about the different sexual identity um, realities within our country, within the world right now. Um, but as the church teaches and as we see it, um, there, there is uh, authentic manhood, authentic womanhood, and they're both necessary for the church. Um, we need that womanly touch in the church. We need that womanly mind in the church just like we need that manly mind and that manly heart and that manly touch. Um, there, Because it's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin, you know? And so the church has already started to put some women in higher positions. In the Vatican, in the church, you've got parish administrators. Actually, I know more women parish administrators than I do men. Um, and, um, and so I think, yes, you talk about the glacial pace, but I, I think that too is starting to finally mm-hmm. catch on. Um, and so I, I think that, um, that, that, that that'll continue to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. catch. Um, so right now, only synod fathers can vote. And so that doesn't nece- you don't necessarily have to be ordained. So you can have a um, superior general of a, sure. of a religious order sure. who's male, who, who can vote, mm-hmm. and yet you can have a superior general of a female religious order, and she can't vote. So the only determining thing keeping her from voting is sex. Getting that out there, that, that, that this is what's going on, let's name it, and let's say it's not good enough, and let's change it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay if that you know takes a minute 
<laughs> but if we could just all agree that it's necessary, sure. I think that we could start to make some progress. Sure. I am heartened to know the amount of women that are now involved mm-hmm. in the Synod. That has changed mm-hmm. big time. And I feel very much so that they are heard. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, although I don't know how voting works there, I do see the final documents and final statements that come out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm heartened by that. But I, I'm gonna have to be honest and, and go look at the, uh, the the voting stuff. I, I actually surprised by what you you said, and I, I'm wanting to look into that just honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but uh, I just think there's a lot yeah. of transformation that could happen there. Sure. Infiltrating some women in there, sure. I just I think that it would sure bring about a lot of change. Absolutely. Let me let me say this too at the same time. I, I, I want us to not forget, especially in like in this diocese, we've got the Dominican sisters here. And the Dominican sisters are powerhouses. They're incredible. They're fully habited religious women who are making an incredible impact on the church and on the world. And two, don't mess with Mother Assumpta. Mother Assumpta, who is the the superior of uh, the Dominican Sisters in Ann Arbor, she is so um, well-respected and so sought after for her sage advice and for for just a sharing of her faith. Um, And she is a beautiful woman of faith. And and not to mention, we're meeting here on All Saints Day. Hmm. All the women saints out there, I can't tell you how many men I know that their favorite saint is Saint Therese of Lisieux. Mm-hmm. So, although the church may not be where it needs to be right now, and this I'm just saying this as a matter of fact, I'm not saying this is my opinion, but although they may not be where they need to be right now, um, when it comes to women in power and women in authority, let us not forget the effect that women have had on our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could, I could sit here. All day and talk about these different women saints: Saint Claire of Assisi, Saint Therese of Lisieux, Saint Hildegard of Bingen, who is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to talk about a, a powerful woman saint? Go look into Saint Hildegard of Bingen. Um, incredible, learned, wonderful, saintly woman. Yeah. So let's not forget about those. In this time, you know, people keep stressing the lady. Mm-hmm. You know that the lady is so. Im- crucial Mm -hmm. in this time and I'm looking around and I'm like what with all my power I mean what am I going to do so so there's very frustrated people's you know wanting change and feeling powerless to make it but you know if we could raise up a stronger diaconate Mm -hmm. um hey if that included women (laughs) that'd be great um so you know I think that there are um I think that there are a lot of ways and I just don't know how to enact them Mm -hmm. I don't know how to you know, to make these changes occur. So, yeah. um, Allison, I, I would, I would really, I, I want to say this too. Um, you know, what, what can laity do? Uh, I told the men this this morning of our men's group here at the parish. Um, I, th- I think it was Mother Teresa that said, you know, you want to change the world, go home and love your family first. Mm-hmm. You know, so many of us have this, this fire lit under us to, we, we want to do something. We want to go change the world. Well, here's the thing. Um, if it's not starting in your family, then don't try to go change the world. Start with your family. Start with your family. See, it's, it's the other idea, too, of you can't give what you don't have. You know? So where is your faith at this moment in time? So I would say that before we jump no, out... I'm sorry. Yeah. You said that to a group of men? 
I said it to a group of men today. Okay. Yes. Because, because I'm, dear God, we need to hear it. Yeah. No, I agree. But I'm telling yeah. you that if you said that to a group of women, mm-hmm. what they would hear mm-hmm. is, go get back in your kitchen. Mm. No. No. Not at all. <laughs> but you said that no. to a group of men. I I'm clarifying that. for I, our Absolutely. Listeners. I said that to a group of men. Um, but the thing is, too, is, is uh, but, but that, it, it goes across gender lines. We, if we are not going home and loving our families and being there for our families and we're only worried about our job and we're only worried about the money that we're making and we're only worried about the materialistic things in this world, then woe to you. I'm sorry. Woe to you. So look, we have to adjust things in our own lives before we can go and, and, and uh, rock the boat elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And so I am grateful. And I think this is a very important time for the laity in the church. I really, really do. And I pray that they stand up. I pray that they, mm-hmm. that they become more vocal, which they are. Look at your own self first too, mm-hmm. because that we're all called to greater holiness. And again, I go back to the whole idea of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have to become more Christocentric in our lives before we get bogged down, got to get back to Jesus Christ as the center of our life. And I think that so many facets of our church church have lost that, including so many of our families. Mm-hmm. So what about church response? What should the response be for, for victims? We all know somebody that has been affected. We do. I do. And um, I had a dear friend point out in conversation Uh, recently that they considered these victims martyrs of a sort because in childlike faith they experienced a death and should be venerated for the martyrs that they are and as much of this has come to light that is not what I've seen and and, and no one's talking about the victims anymore in fact people are just trying to protect their own position in the family and they're fighting for the left side to win they're fighting for the right side to win and it's become a clericalism versus clericalism mess and the laity is just rooting for their side to win so father jared if you were boss how would you lead right now what do you wish you were hearing first of all thank god i'm not the boss (laughs) (laughs) um i'm gonna i'm gonna answer it this way i think across the board I'm, i'm gonna set the abuse aside for a moment on a human level and i'm gonna come back to the abuse But on a human level, every single one of us has brokenness, has woundedness, and something that has fallen by the wayside in the church is the idea of healing and deliverance. Big time. I think that we need to have a resurgence of that across the board, but even more so with the victims who are priority number one right now. The church needs to be that shepherd. The church needs to be there for them. And they need to provide that healing and that deliverance Um, from good priests, good laity. uh, There needs to be a resurgence in the church of that, of healing and deliverance. Um, I can't speak to... It's hard for me because I'm, I'm not a bishop. And it's gonna, it remains to be seen what they're going to do and what they're doing right now. Um, I do know, and it's already been made public, that uh, the bishops of Texas are going to be releasing all the names, priests, deacons, and religious who have, who have um, harmed a child, and that's going to happen in January. 
And that is their that is one of their first steps. I think that this is all going to get worse before it gets better, and that that's sad. But we have to brace ourselves for that, um, because that's part of the purging. That is part of the purging. Um, but in the meantime, I go back to that idea of healing mm-hmm. and deliverance. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to tap into those wounds. We have to clean it out. We can't just cover it back up because we know what cover-up does. It lets yes. everything underneath it fester. Yes. And so we've got to get in there and we've got to clean it out. I think the church is becoming very um, aware of its own sins. Yeah. And they're going to have to account for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is that reckoning. But in the meantime, the good priests out there, the good bishops out there, um, we have to really embrace our sheep tighter than we ever have before. Um, And we have to be approachable. We have to be available. We have to get out of our own comfort zones, which priests can easily slip into as well. And we have to be there. We have to be visible. We have to be accountable, um, approachable, and available. Yeah. Um, and so this is a call uh, to greater this is a call to better for me and for my brother priests for the deacons out there for the religious out there I can think of no better time to utter those words than on All Saints Day Mm -hmm. you know we're not called to mediocrity Mm -hmm. we're called to greatness Mm -hmm. and I look at the saints I look at the sordid lives they had but they give us the blueprint of how to do it you know, so we've really got to we've got to cling to that. And I am I'm I'm holding tight to Jesus, and I and I haven't lost sight of that. But I am heartbroken mm-hmm. uh, by the church, and I've never needed a perfect church. Right. But I do feel like right now, especially, I need a humble church, and I would love to be proud of my church in the face of all of this because they were acting radically, because they were acting swiftly, because they were acting compassionately. And, um, and instead I, I hear silence except from you. <laughs> um, I hear a lot of silence and that, that I'm sure that that's fear-based. Mm-hmm. People are feeling fearful. Right. I'm fearful that people are going to leave. I'm fearful that we're not going to be able to carry out all of our missions to saving souls and becoming this hospital for the wounded. We're not going to be able to do that. It, and so there's kind of this, this level of protection. I think that when we focus on our own losses or our own potential losses, Um, I would rather focus on what the victims have already lost. And in that way, we have an opportunity to offer a beautiful response. We have an opportunity to be beautiful because good from good, drawing good from good, that's something you and I can easily manage. But drawing good from evil, now that's divine. That's, That's God's work. That's something God can do. And I know that that's possible, but not like this. Not in silence, not in confusion, not in protection. But I think that it's possible that what God can do with the lives of people who have been harmed by the church might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to the church. I really believe that God can do that, but not if our response isn't beautiful. Because an ugly means cannot justify a beautiful end. It has to be beautiful through and through. And so I am so hopeful and I am waiting to see beauty. (laughs) And I would love to be a part of that in in whatever capacity. And maybe it's this conversation, you know, maybe this is my my contribution to healing. But I think you're right. I think that we we desperately need healing. And it it can be beautiful. It can be beautiful. Because of God. It can be. But you know where the beauty starts for me? is when we break through that wall of fear. Where is fear from? It's not from God. Right. Perfect it is love not casts from God. it out. Amen. 
it is not from God. And so it just reminds us, Allison, that all of the sin in our life, everything that we struggle with, so much of that is not from God. And it reminds us that there's this other being out there who works tirelessly to pull us as far away from God as possible. The devil wants us nowhere near God. And he knows our vulnerabilities, he knows our weaknesses, and he's going to poke, push, prod, agitate all day, every day, until he gets us right where he wants us, which is as far away from God as possible. He wants this fear in the church right now. And you know what? He's winning the day, yeah. but he's not going to win the battle. Yeah, but we have to push back and we have to fight back against that. So when we have that fear, and I'm saying this for humanity across the board, priests, religious, laity, or otherwise, we have to reject that fear. Mm-hmm. The Lord has given us gifts on the day of our baptism when we became a priest, a prophet, and a king. He gave us these gifts and these graces. And you know what's sad is we don't use them. We leave them stagnant, laying right next to us. And so what we have to do is we have to activate those gifts. We have to use those gifts that we have at our disposal. That is Jesus Christ himself. That is God the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the Blessed Mother. That is the saints. Those are the sacramentals in the church. It's everything. It's our guardian angels that we never talk about. It's the legion of angels that we don't talk about. And we need to activate that. And when fear comes at us, we have to reject it outright. I reject you, spirit of fear. I reject you, spirit of anger. I reject you, spirit of sadness. I reject you, spirit of gluttony, spirit of lust, spirit of envy and greed, spirit of confusion. Anything that's not from God, activate the gifts and reject it. And then after you reject it, ask God to help you in that. It's four seconds flat. What you're doing is you're acknowledging what the devil's throwing at you. Two, you're rejecting it, which has incredible power. And three, you're backing it up with prayer. Why we don't do this all day, every day is beyond me. I love it when you get on a roll, Jared. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Um, So that's where beauty begins, is pushing past that. But if we let that bog us down, if if we let our joy be stolen out from under us by people by the sins of others if we let people live rent free in our heads then we are the ones to blame i like it i like it thank you thank you so much for your vulnerability for your honesty for your wisdom for your courage i know that this cost you something and i i really appreciate it your people are so happy thank you i pray that this conversation blesses uh many people who are hurting as well thank you amen By the way, on our way out to the car, I confided, confessed really, to Father Jared that I wasn't just struggling large scale, but also there was something very specific that had been bothering me about a church practice that doesn't make any sense to me. I laid out my argument, Father Jared listened to every word of it, and then he clasped his hand on my shoulder, looked me in the eye, smiled at me kindly, and he encouraged my search. He nodded his head and told me to keep learning, to keep reading, to keep asking questions. And every bit of it was so very fatherly. It reminded me of the panicking disciples out at sea in the storm and Jesus relaxed enough to sleep. Thank you, Father Jared. You give so much hope. Matthew 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
This is the verse inspiring Vanaman Designs as they make original handcrafted wooden signs that are perfect for your home or any space where you want to be inspired. And I should know. I needed a few updated Christmas decorations because I was tired of the 90% off after holiday leftovers and unwanted family hand-me-downs. I wanted something special that my kids would recognize as ours. So I bought far more than I intended because I simply couldn't resist. And those signs were up before Halloween. I'm shameless. Phantom and Design Signs encourage faith, love, and family, and they are inspired by the Word of God. That's Phantom and Designs, V-A-N-N-A-M-A-N. Find them on Instagram and Facebook. You'll love what they have to offer. Dear God, we, your children, long to be peacemakers in this contentious world agents of your reconciliation, ambassadors of the kingdom which is to come. You gave us your son, a perfect example of love and mercy in the face of taunting and torture. Let us look to him and lean on him and rely on him so that our love for others give testimony to his love for all of us. Help us, God, to persevere in tumultuous times, to not be overcome by the divisiveness of it all, but instead be overcome by your goodness, your faithfulness, your presence among us. Holy Spirit, move freely among us. This is momentary unrest and chaos, but you, God, promise us peace. Let us fix our eyes not on what is seen, Please, God, may our obedience draw others to your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray, our peacemaker. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Chan Redfield and Pamela Anthony Cutright for music, and Father Jared Cook. Follow him on Instagram at lookitsfathercook. And don't forget to... Email us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Keep in touch on Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison M. Sully. And be sure to catch the mini episode for extras.